Huh? I'm sorry, Smokey. You were over the line. That's a foul. Bullshit. Market eight, dude. Uh, excuse me. Market zero. Next frame. Bullshit, Walter. Market eight, dude. Smokey, this is not nom. This is bowling. There are rules. Hey, Walter, come on. It's just, hey, man, it's Smokey. So his toe slipped over a little, you know? It's just a game, man. This is a league game. This determines who enters the next round robin. Am I wrong? Yeah, but I wasn't. Am I wrong? Yeah, but I wasn't over. Give me the marker, dude. I'm marking an eight. Smokey, my friend. You're entering a world of pain. Walter, man. You mark that frame in eight, you're entering a world of pain. I'm not. A world of pain. Look, dude, I, this is your partner. Has the whole world gone crazy? Am I the only one around here who gives a shit about the rules? Mark it zero. They're calling the cops, man. Put the piece away. Mark it zero. Walter, put the piece away. Walter? You think I'm fucking around here? Mark it zero. All right, it's fucking zero. You happy, you crazy fuck? Fully game smoke. Hello there, and welcome to Pivotal Film. I am Tom Nolan. And I'm Mario Ponzio, and this is still episode three. Well, we're just repeating ourselves. We have so many more things to say about High Fidelity, right, Mario? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, no, 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 we're going to do Mario's Mario's uh, three today, and obviously you know what it is if you listen to the intro clip. There's no there's no surprises, and if you saw the title of this episode, uh, we're you know maintaining our our... Uh, split episodes for for the top three here. Uh, there is no beer today. Um, we will be drinking Caucasians for the beginning of our um, Big Lebowski discussion. Oh, you got and you got to do it. Although I did see that White Russian cannoli uh, beer. Yeah, fuck it. Uh, so I don't, to, I don't know why they got to put cannoli in that. So yeah, exactly. So we are drinking from what the fuck is this from? Latrobe, Pennsylvania. Oh, is it Pennsylvania? I yeah. that's, that's farm to table. Of course it is. This is a rolling. <laughs> this is a rolling rock. <laughs> it is delicious. Something percent. It's got a thirty-three on it. Yeah, it's, it's uh, twelve ounces. Twelve ounces. Yeah, it's Jesus. What? What? Four point four percent. This is. I'm going to be honest with you. This is the lightest four point four beer ever. Yeah, it is. It's hydrating almost. It's, I know it is. It really is. It's of, like of, of like the uh, the low. We're called the low quality beers. The 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 macro beers. I'd say this is probably my second nowadays. It's my first nowadays. I find it interesting that I keep cycling through like the junk beers of like whatever I just kind of have in my house all the time. And mm-hmm. so now it's been for like I don't know. You brought it, you got it for something, didn't you? Yeah, I had it. For some reason. And then it, well, it was just like in your fridge. You were like, oh, we went someplace and we had some leftover Rolling Rocks. And I drank one. And I was like, this is doing this is it, yeah. all the things I wanted to do. So it's, yeah, it's this instead of High Life. Mine's, mine's still High Life. Yeah. Uh, our guest again, JP, here again. Yeah, dude. What, what's your, what's your, what's your uh, macro beer of choice? Miller High Life. Yeah. Yeah. It was Pabst for a long time. Pabst is like so malty. 
I, it was, yeah, it was I all ne- we I drank. Never, and never then, understood the Pabst thing. Yeah, but we would I run drank, through 30 of them. Schaefer. Oh, yeah, we did the Schaefer's, too. I think Rolling Rock is a little dangerous because it's so drinkable. And it will still get you drunk if you... If you drink enough of them, yeah. yeah. Yep. For but sure. compared to what we've drank in... Drinking? Drinking? Drinking the... Drinking the... <laughs> yeah, in the past. Uh, I don't think this will... will do the do the trick, luckily. Uh, no, I don't think. I think, we'll be, I think we'll be fine. No, <laughs> I think we'll be fine. Um, Mar- speaking of being drunk, <laughs> I was going to say speaking of being fine. Uh, Zack Snyder's fine, and he's now he's fine-ish, and he's made a new version of an old movie. Uh, it's premiered on HBO Max two weeks ago. I don't know. Last we week? can go now. Last it's Friday. Last Friday. Yeah. Uh, and. You know, it's uh, it's apparently changed movies forever because Disney announced some mind blowing shit, you know, in the middle of the week with Black Widow going to direct think, to streaming. Do you think that was the reason why? I think so. Yeah. I think they I have. Think I think they have enough evidence now. I think with I, all this you know, stuff think, that I think they're like, more, okay, we'll do this. I think it was more. I think Raya. It must have ended up doing better streaming wise than they expected. It's kind of what I'm. I guess what I'm trying to say is that. A combination of all the evidence that there was to go on, putting a blockbuster movie like a, a film out on, uh, like a street, just dumping it to streaming service. The reception and the reaction and the amount of that people were talking, and I, I, I bet subscriptions were up and like all this other shit. Um, coupled with Raya, coupled with whatever Mulan did, they're just like we just are gonna do it. We're just gonna do it. We were one of five people to get Mulan. I still think. Right. It was not very good. It got nominated for Oscars. That's right. So it must be good. Raya wasn't eligible again, right? We nope. we disturbed that it's it's Raya's a Raya's a twenty twenty one. I don't think it came out in twenty twenty. No, it, did, it didn't. But yeah. it but it came out in March. Yeah, yeah, so it's it definitely twenty twenty. Yeah, yeah, because that would have for sure been nominated for animated. Ah, uh, yeah. It for sure would have. This movie may also be nominated next year for animated feature because there is a lot of CGI in it. <laughs> Sometimes buildings it's... falling down that stay uh, together for yeah. some reason. Um, it is, as I've mentioned before, uh, Zack Snyder's Justice League. I'm in the dark. strong enough. If you can't bring down the charging bull and don't wave the red cape at it. I don't even know who says that. Who says it sounds that? like Jeremy Irons. And I, I believe he said more Irish. He said don't wave the red cape Harry at it. Sounds like he said Harry. Maybe he accidentally called Ben Affleck's Batman Harry instead of Bruce. <laughs> who knows? Uh, Superman is dead. Lois Lane is sad. She's just walking around, looking at newspaper bundles in the rain, listening to Nick Cave. She's left her job. Um, uh, the superheroes? Newspaper bundles that, by the way, 
put this in the Ayn Rand universe. Yeah, they love they love Ayn Rand in in, in Metropolis. Yeah. Um, Batman, for no particular reason, has decided that he wants to form like a team of superheroes, uh, and and then he gets a reason to form a team of superheroes. But he goes to see Aquaman about forming a team of superheroes before he gets a reason. We'll talk about that. Uh, but he does eventually form a team of superheroes to fight off this force known as Steppenwolf and his parademons that have come to Earth and to Atlantis and to Themyscira to retrieve three mother boxes that uh, the forces of... Uh, this, is Kum- this is the Kumadra, Kumadra movie, right? There was a Kumadra between uh, the Green Lanterns and the gods and the humans and the Atlanteans. The Atlians, too. So Outcast is there. Um, for sure. And, uh, they've hidden the mother boxes and not very well in three locations. Um, there's a temple in both Atlanta and Themyscira. So it's not like they're hidden. They're just in the temple. The doors are, doors are open. Giant temples. But there's people with arrows, so you know. Um, needless to say, uh, the heroes that Batman gets together, Aquaman himself, Wonder Woman, The Flash, and Cyborg, all played by whoever they're played by, um, which maybe we'll talk about them individually or whatever. Uh, he gets them together and they fight, and then they realize that the thing they need is Superman. I'm not going to say it. Right. Bad CGI, <laughs> holographic Superman. <laughs> uh, and so they bring Superman back, and then Superman kicks their ass for no reason, and then Superman goes and awkwardly touches leaves in a field, corn, uh, corn leaves, and then he comes back and beats the Christ out of Steppenwolf and angrily sh- cuts off his horn before Darkseid um, and not David Thewlis can come to uh, our world and wreak havoc all over everything. Um, Through their fallopian tube. Some, some kind of Intestine tubes. And then Darkseid at the end is just like, <sighs> fine. And they're like, what are you going to do? <laughs> Ah, uh, just get the army. Whatever. <laughs> He's very sad. Dark he just seems really unenthused to take over or destroy reality. Right. He's almost like, like he's like, I have to do this, this entire, and I don't want to. The entire like nightmare stuff at the end, it's like there's an antimatter equation, that could be a thing, and it's like, but do we really think Darkseid cares? Well, I'm not a big DC guy, but I I got I heard on a podcast that the anti life or whatever, or antimatter is like a big deal. Oh yeah, it's supposed to like put dark control whatever take out who can fucking yeah so my take is my quick take on it is the first uh justice league which was uh finished off slash remade by joss whedon is uh a fucking joke yeah it's awful and this movie is better like it's in a lot of ways it's way better yeah but it's still uh, makes no sense, and I think it's too much movie. I think Zack Snyder got way in over his britches in terms of like structure and, and, and narrative and stuff like that. But and it looks good, It's and, it, and it's not fun. But it looks good, and uh, it's kind of cool. Um, it still kind of makes no sense, but you care less because it doesn't seem like it's like laughing behind your back. Yeah, and uh, for me... I'm not. I don't have much of an issue with all the exposition building characters. I thought the new like cyborg stuff 
was interesting. I think it was, I think, I thought it was I could, good. I could see why Ray Fisher wants to punt Josh Whedon in the fucking throat. Oh, yeah. Because um, he does he does a solid job with it. Joe Morton's doing a lot of work. I felt bad about that because I was like, in my stupor of a stage, going like, why is Joe Morton trying? He just gets so much movie. He does. And I'm, I'm glad about that, but it's I'm still upset. Um and so I didn't have much of an issue with, with all the exposition building because I just looked at this as like a fan service thing. Had it been theatrical released for the masses, it would have been horrible. I think horrible he would have cut at least an hour out of yeah, it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but for what it was, yeah, yeah. which is just for fucking the, the DC guys, mm-hmm. I think it I think it works until the epilogue. Mm-hmm. I think that epilogue is fucking garbage. I think everything... Yeah. Post like Steppenwolf being defeated and whatnot, the entire nightmare sequence doesn't work at all. It just feels weirdly tacked on into it. Martian, Martian Manhunter stuff should not be there at all. Well, I just love being at the end. He's just like, oh, and I'm. You also may know me as Martian Manhunter. (laughs) Like, like, oh, okay, great. Ben Affleck was clearly like, I think that's Ben Affleck's actual house. (laughs) <laughs> and Zack Snyder didn't tell him he was coming by with this guy and all this makeup and Ben Affleck's just like oh, fine whatever dude yeah I was, it should have just been like I'm Harry Lennox from those other Mar- from those other DC movies <laughs> I'm also a superhero apparently yeah and again my favorite part of the movie is when Martian Manhunter goes to see Lois Lane and tells her to go back to work yeah and <laughs> it's just like, why? What is the point of this? It's important. Listen, um, it's America. You got to work. There, there, and there are definitely, I think, highs and lows from a movie standpoint. I think Ezra Miller's Flash is now obnoxious in in this. I think he, he's too, there's too much of him. But I think Josh Whedon got like the quippiness of it right, and that's the only yeah. part that. And maybe just because that movie was so terrible that. It worked, but now it seems as though the Flash is just this annoying nothing being. Well, I think it's because the whole movie. So I, I had that thought, and then I watched some of the some like compare like scene comparisons today on YouTube, mm. which is funny. I don't do a lot of YouTube research, but I did for this. Um, the whole movie is quippy, and so Ezra Miller just uh, Joss Whedon's whole movie is quippy. Yeah. So Ezra Miller does it better than everybody else. So you're like, well, this is really working. But in this, he's the only guy who's having fun and you're just like no 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 <laughs> i just want you to stop now and that's and that's the things i the fuck bro he was in the original uh like i prefer this i prefer most of like the characterizations yeah outside of probably batman because it's still a little too it's much enough with the batman um and outside of the flash just because he just doesn't fit um and outside of wonder woman just because gal gadot can't act She's very confused a lot of the movie. Yeah. And then until she realizes that she's like, oh, I don't have to be confused. And then her face changes. It's very funny. (laughs) It is. Um, And her entire introduction scene is easily outside the nightmare sequence, the the worst scene of the film. Well, my problem with that, too, is that we just saw her in Batman versus Superman. Why do we need a new, fresh introduction of her with a guy who just goes into a bank like... To be a just terrorist. To, just to blow it up. And that and, is obviously like a poor man's imitation of, you know, the Dark Knight's opening sequence. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
that you know like say what you will about like oh she ends up blowing up the thing that's fine whatever i thought the action set pieces in this actually pretty work pretty well except for the fucking temple falling in one piece and never actually breaking apart in a sort of realistic way <laughs> um but like i i thought those action sequences work except that you know i thought the entire um what were they called not the Atlanteans, the uh, Amazonians. Are they Amazonians? They yeah, yeah, yeah. The Amazonians, like, fight outside of that exploding temple was great. Um, but, like, her opening sequence in that entire scene just felt like this really oddly grisly addition to a film that did not need to be there. It's even long. with, yeah, even with, like, whatever introduction or fan service you need, it just didn't need to be there. No, we got it. Uh, the, the, the thing I, I want to really say I loved about this, though, um, and by the way, he's credited as Tom Holkenborg, so I didn't realize it was actually Junkie XL. I love this Junkie XL score throughout this. Mm. I think it's the best part of it. I think outside of Wonder Woman's kind of like Zimmeress score that kind of keeps playing whenever she's mm-hmm. there, I think that all of that score works better than what the film is yep. by a lot of ways. Well, and I... I Like when, you know, when you see Batman walking over icebergs because he can't fly a helicopter in. Or drive it, a car. Yeah, it works because, like, in a weird way, because that score is, sol- is so solid and adding so much more stakes than what this film is doing. We're going to be honest with you. I'm, I keep my list now because of a, a movie we are... Because of Nine Days and because of Judas and the Black Messiah and Nomadland and Minari. Um, you know, less Nomadland, but other stuff. Um, I have like it's the earliest I've ever started like a list of of categories and things like that for our, our end of year list, and uh, for my top ten moments, the Flash running back in time scene mm-hmm. is kind of is penciled in there, and the one reason it works so well is because of that great like that score yeah. like thing. It's new like to the movie. I don't mean to like. It's the first time you hear it in the movie. It's got a cool little guitar, like electric guitar line going underneath it. It almost sounds like a do make say think uh, uh, thing without any of the horns or anything like that. It's got like a German bassiness to it. It's interesting. It's really interesting, and I think it really works. German bass. What's that? Is that like a thing? Like craft work? No. Yeah. Kinda. No. It's it's more of like a Ronnie size thing maybe that's like without a sound, the beats. Maybe that's a sound design. Thing. It's got a little bit of a drum and bass quality to it without like with a little more melody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then if if spiritualized, use more electronics and less horns and choirs. The thing I loved about it is like it's super produced. Like I love. I'm really realizing I loved overproduced scores, and I think Junkie XL is kind of like the king of doing mm-hmm. like heavy amounts of production, and this just feels incredibly clean it's good um, yeah. it works i it mean works it, and it well. makes the, it brings some heaviness to scenes that are stupid i mean and there's a, still a lot of stupid scenes in this movie and i'm really glad that hallelujah wasn't actually used in the movie and it actually served a bet like a <laughs> and that we only purpose. we only had to hear one second of it i don't know who was singing that it's not lady gaga no it's allison crow um but it was it was also a tribute to his daughter i think just Zack snyder like which is fine so yeah i'm fine with it but I, when I saw Leonard Korn's, like, how Louis was going to be in it before I saw this film, I was like, not again. <laughs> it's The only reason I find that odd, and I'm sorry, Zack Snyder, is, like, the way he used it previously? Mm. Yeah. You know what I mean? I think, I think maybe. I it's, it's a nice song. Not, so I think for Watchmen, it was used for, like, a, what he felt was, like, a real emotional beat in the film. So I think it was 
like that's the intent of it. Like even <laughs> though it's awkward the it's way it's very awkward done, but um, I can see the intent there, and I think it's just something that maybe he personally is important. To Would him. you tell someone to watch? Like so, JP is sitting here. Are we telling him to not watch it? Would you tell if someone to watch if it? If you're a DC guy, yeah, uh, easily. Like, I think it's, I think it's the closest DC's gotten to their animated films. Like, you just, but you have to be so into this world to give a shit. I suppose that's true because I didn't care about any of these characters. Yeah, I was, I was have to tell you like that's Iris West. Watch as fucking the Flash inappropriately touches her face, <laughs> and, but then he grabs a hot dog, and that's funny, right? Well, the hot dog didn't have to consent. That's true. If if Iris said. Like, just nodded her head <laughs> in slow motion. So my problem with all of that stuff is not even... So that's a problem, too. My problem is that he's supposed to be moving so fast. Like, uh, there would be no time to register any of those things that are, like, happening. He would be have to be between... Like, it's almost like a stop time. Like, he's Zach Morris. And, like, I'm going to run so fast, I'm going to stop. I'm going to call a timeout and stop time entirely. And just kind of, like, look around. And also... If he's moving that fast, he sees the car hit. I mean, Why doesn't he just stop the car accident? Because maybe she doesn't die, but somebody fucking died in that, car, in that car accident. The guy with the sandwich, the truck driver is probably dead, right? Nah, I think he's fine. It hits like the, the side. I think the side? he's fine. Yeah. I don't know. It would have been great if there had been like a... Did you, you see any part of the boys? That no, 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 no. Where the, their flashlight character accidentally runs into the woman and... Like, just explodes her. I heard there's a lot of exploding heads in The Boys. Have you seen The Boys, JP? No. No. I've heard it's a lot of fun. I heard a lot of fun, too. A lot of exploding heads. If you like a lot of body parts. I kind of do like body parts. If you like a man's head being crushed because a superhero has an orgasm while she's getting head from that guy. I don't not like that. That's very specific. It's not like a thing you can like or dislike until you see it. (laughs) Like, you don't grow up and thinking, like, I don't like this. My parents taught me. That's a thing I don't like. I don't know, man. Could maybe, be. Maybe. Um, but, yeah, yeah, it's fun. I'm kind of lukewarm. Yeah. On, but I feel like lukewarm is a good thing to be for somebody who fucking hates the DC Extended Universe. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's like I said, his most successful of his films. Is it better than Joker? You like it better than Joker? Oh, I fucking hate Joker. Yeah, of course. I, I like it better, better than Joker. Joker, too. I think it's... I, I think my favorite still the original like the Aquaman Aquaman, mm-hmm. fall, and then like but I I think personally, if a person is into this universe like this is going to be their thing. Mm. I think it's just, it's it's that popcorn Super Bowl sort of instance. Maybe it doesn't need the R rating, but whatever. It was four fucks. Yeah, but do, maybe no. I'm saying maybe it doesn't need like the blood and oh like, yeah, the, you know. Maybe it doesn't need that. Or the extra thing. hour and a half. <laughs> I think. I Did think you those see people, this? I think people. Would lo- I think the people that would be into that love the fact that it's, you know, four hours and. Two Did minutes. you see the stat that's trending that this movie is ten percent slow motion? I didn't do that. No. Ten percent of this movie is in slow motion. That's not bad for Snyder. It's better than Watchmen. I'm sure. Oh my God, Watchmen! Oh, I wish we had a podcast when Watchmen came out. Watchmen's horrendous. <laughs> oh, so I saw it in IMAX and I was laughing through the whole thing. I like like three things about Watchmen, and two of them are the same. I like that it's based off the comic book, The Watchmen, but that's it. <laughs> I hate, I hate, I hate that that comic book. I know, do you? I, I, I hate. I do not like Alan Moore. Oh, I like Alan Moore. 
I, Jack Earl Haley as Warshack is pretty good. It was a good idea, but like the execution, and it's not Jack Earl Haley's fault. No. It's just the execution of the character is terrible. There's two other things I like about it. Nice. That's a good one. Um, all right. Are we done? We are. Okay. All right. So we will be right back with Mario's number three. Welcome back. Why do why does mine have so much separation? Does your guys have separation like this? Yes. A little bit. Okay. Yes, yeah, start with your finger. Yeah, I guess so. Welcome back. Uh, before like, we get into so you my... gotta do it like this when you're getting up to answer the door. Yeah. Before we hey, get into Marty. my number three, we have with us some uh, Caucasians. Um, unlike Jeff Lebowski, uh, we do not besmirch ourselves with fucking Kahlua. Uh, we are using Australian cold brew, Mr. Black, which is a fucking excellent coffee liqueur. Has it's oh, good. It was fantastic. tasty. It had a little bit on its own. It was good. But we have some half and half and some Sabalski. Sabalski, I think it's called. Uh, Majorska? Sabalski, 100% rye, Polish, if not Russian, um, vodka with a little nutmeg, mm. cold nutmeg, uh, you know, sprinkled on top. Mm-hmm. So. Cheers. Cheers. I hope you stood there and sniffed the half and half for 10 seconds in the store before you purchased it. <laughs> and you purchased it with a check. <laughs> uh, yeah, the half and half was not 69 cents today. The half and half was 290. So that's oh. what happens when you get it from the That's pretty good. from P&M's. I like this because I can feel the vodka more than I can taste it. Yeah, that's how it's supposed to be. I mean, I know it's in there. Mm. Mm. It's good. It is good. That coffee though, it comes through. It's nice. Yeah, Mr. Black is amazing. Mm. Kahlua just tastes like fucking candy. I, I couldn't yeah. tell you anymore. I forgot what Kahlua tastes like. I just, I don't know what it tastes like any, I mean, I don't really, all I remember is I used to be a big white Russian guy before Big Lebowski. Like, my first drink was a big, because like, I loved coffee when mm-hmm. I was younger. And as a matter of fact, one of the first things I think that kind of like, was like, oh, that's awesome, with was his love of white Russians, because I was like, oh, I'm a white Russian guy. <laughs> um, but, like, my first cocktail was the, the white Russian. Yeah, and me too. And then I just realized, like, oh, boy, I should not be drinking things with a bunch of half and half. It was after this. And then I switched to the Manhattan. And I was like, oh, boy, I shouldn't be drinking cocktails that are just, <laughs> you know, 10 different a types bunch of, of alcohol thrown together. together. Yeah. And so now I'm just now I'm just like, oh, I drink bourbon in a glass. And I'm like, well, not really any different. And that's not a cocktail. I sometimes throw bitters in it. And I'm like, that's a cocktail, right? Sometimes you do stuff to it. Sometimes. Most of the time, it's just bourbon and maybe like a splash of Agasara bitters. Um, the movie is The Big Lebowski. This, where like, just stopped in to see what position. 
By the way, you know what cocktail I, I really prefer, and I did this um, this weekend with mm-hmm. the Mr. Black, is it's called a, a double fashion. And you do Mr. Black, and Mr. Black has actually suggested this one, um, Mr. Black and whiskey. <laughs> it is. <laughs> it is I, I hope this podcast just turns into Mario's cocktail hour. I Let me tell it. you some things. <laughs> um, so, I'm not going to do a plot rundown of The Big Lebowski because I'm tired of doing those. The plots have the fun, but you shouldn't do a plot rundown. We can talk about it as we go. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about it as we go. You know, it's basically your typical fish-out-of-water film noir mm-hmm. uh, rundown with a stoner slacker bowler who... Steadily drinks white Russians, but never gets drunk. It's a little bit like Third Man in that regard. Yeah. Hmm. He's very Holly. Except he's more competent than Holly somehow. Yeah. And he doesn't ever want to know what's going on. He doesn't. He thinks he he knows exactly what's going on. He figures it out before Holly could ever figure it out. Right. And Walter figures, like, out the the toe before anybody, like, figures. He's just like, that's not her toe. Get your fucking toe. Um, With nail polish. My introduction... To this film came almost ten years after it came out. Has re- this is this is my last Coen Brothers film, guys. After I've had five or six Coen Brothers films on this list, you know better than me. Uh, so I have Miller's Crossing. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, the ones I know remember for sure: Miller's Crossing, Serious Man, No Country for Old Men, Fargo, Fargo. So I think I think it's five. Maybe six. What are the other ones? Barton Fink could have made it, it but I don't remember list. if it it was. It was not. I always just remember the one fifty. I actually don't think it was just the four. Yeah, you had Inside Llewellyn Davis. No, yeah. I no, I had Miller's Crossing, Fargo. No country. No country. This. Oh. I think it's just four. Yeah, it's just maybe it is just four. And Serious Man. And Serious Man. Oh, five. It was a five. Yeah, yeah. Did you not say Serious Man? Did. I did say Serious Man. Yeah. I thought you said it second. Doesn't matter. Anyways, a plethora of Coen Brothers. Enough. Co- just the right um, amount. And I had been a Coen Brothers person for a long time before I came to this. I, as I said with my No Country, uh, had gone into... My feet. I'm tapping. Okay. I'm okay. Bob Dylan in my mind. Could you stop just for a second? Sure. It's distracting me slightly. Sorry. Not to be a dick. <laughs> we'll do air tapping. Um, I feel like an asshole for saying that now. But, uh, no, I, I had come I had come to... You, you could do it if you want to. It's fine. I, I'm fine. I was just didn't know what it was. Um, I had come to No Country... Being a Coen Brothers guy, I, I was just, I, you know, I had seen most of the Coen Brothers. You know, if you listen to this podcast, that's just like Coen Brothers are me. Mm-hmm. Like I, I tied myself closely to them, and I saw No Country for Old Men in October of '07, um, and I just had heard people like, "Oh, you're a Coen Brothers person. You should see Big Lebowski." And for some reason. I'd always shut myself off to Big Lebowski. Um, I don't know if it was for the reason that I thought it was of the level 
of Lady Killers, which is another Coen Brothers film I like, but I was, I don't know, there was, there was something, there was some fear in seeing Big Lebowski. Mm-hmm. Some hesitation. Because I, I felt as though if I saw, knowing what I knew about Big Lebowski, I knew it was going to either really connect with me or it was going to be something that I just would not be able to gestate. I wouldn't be able to taste it. I wouldn't be able to understand it. I would, it would discolor my opinion of the Coen brothers. Mm-hmm. Um, in much the same way that Intolerable Cruelty discolors anybody's opinion of any filmmaker. <clears throat> What were they doing? <laughs> I'm not and, sure they knew. And and because I I think uh, a few years earlier, um, in like '04, I had seen Raising Arizona, which people had said you have to see this, you have to see this, and I to this day stand by my decision that I I fucking hate Raising Arizona. Which, I just don't really like it. I mean, it's, yeah, I, don't, I don't think it's. Funny. I don't think it's bad. I don't think it, yeah, I don't yeah. think it's funny. I just I don't think it's it's. I don't disagree with people who love it. Because I think Coen Brothers are a thing that kind of like hits a person at different beats. Mm-hmm. I do not like it at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was kind of, I don't know, I was kind of nervous that that was going to be my experience with Big Lebowski. And then one night in my June, no, so this would have been my, yeah, this would have been my senior year of college. A few months after I had seen No Country for Old Men, mm-hmm. I was home alone at, in my apartment, which was, which was a rare occurrence. Um, I had three other roommates, and all of them were gone. And we had, at the time, Comcast, not Xfinity. Um, nice. No, Charter. Sorry, it's Charter at West. It was Charter Internet. And you remember the back in the day they had the on-demand movie menus? Uh, not in my day, but yeah. By the time it got to your day. Yeah, my, I, do like, remember you remember that? like 07, yeah, yeah, like yeah. the on-demand movie menus. And I was just scrolling through, and there it was. Big Lebowski, no cost, available free to cable members. And I was like, I can't, I can't run from it anymore. <laughs> and I sat down, just on my couch. Um, I had, I just I had some vodka on me. Not not anything else, just vodka. And I think I drank some vodka with like a juice. Because I was in college, and that's what you do. That is what you do, yeah. And I just took it in. I, fi- I gave myself over to it. And everything worked for me. Um, and it's hard to say why. What worked, I should say. It's hard to say what worked. But at the time. It's not hard anymore to say what worked. Uh, this was at the time where I was, you know, digesting film noir in every possible way. It was right after my summer of reading really violent, crazy, absurdist, but but ultimately absurdist humor, mm-hmm. and and f- giving myself over to just humor that has absolutely no point, um, but is funny in the sense of that way. Um, and it was this culmination of of kind of these these three roads coming together. Um, this this absolute love of the Coen Brothers, who still you know to this day, uh, you know next week we'll talk about the other major director that not yeah uh, yeah probably next week um, or whatever we talk whatever about. Um, 
Whenever I can get out to OEC to get that bottle, basically. Uh, you know, to, to this day, probably my favorite directors um, and my favorite type of humor and my favorite, ultimately, as much as I love horror, my favorite film genre and just that, that film noir. Mm-hmm. I know a lot of people call this a Western. Um, I don't know why. Because of the tumbleweeds? Sam Elliott? I, I don't know. I, I think maybe I would call it Western in the sense of it's a West, it feels like a West Coast movie. Oh, yeah. I laughed my ass off. I found the, the most hilarious part of it when they talked about the In and Out, uh, where was it Larry Summers is, is near? Um, and it's like, but it's on that road. And the actual like minutia of no, it's on that road is, is really a West Coast thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you don't believe that, just watch the garbage SNL Californian sketch and realize that that is how West Coast people are. They're very weird about their roads. Um, and, and, and so it, it felt, you know, like it felt West Coast. It felt, it, it felt noir. It felt absurdist. It felt Cohen-y. Mm-hmm. And... It had been the film I was always afraid of not working for me and just discoloring my opinion of these these two directors who kind of kind of set me on I mean basically two directors who set me on the path of of really diving deeply into film you know they they being the modern film directors who did that they you know the Coens being the people um you know I I never I mean you could see my list I I wasn't a big Tarantino guy um, I wasn't uh, the biggest Paul Thomas Anderson guy. I don't give a shit about David Fincher and whatnot. I think they're good. I think all of them are good directors. But my youth introduction to film in the modern age is, you know, Zucker, Abram Zucker, and the Coens. And this being the film where I was like, it's always either going to respond to me or it's never going to, or it's going to be the one that is, is that should have worked but didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, and on that night, I want to say it was early December. It's definitely before, right, somewhere around Christmas. I gave myself to it, and it worked in in ways that I didn't expect it to work. Was that why it's number three? Yeah, yeah. No, I think I think it's I th- it's number three because it just it is that cold. It is that perfect distillation of comedy, which which is important to me. Of of and film noir. I want a film noir to always be absurd in a certain way. That's why Third Man's there because Holly's in in a little way absurd, mm-hmm. um, and it it doesn't feel as um, even with the gravity of Third Man. It all there always is this kind of um, theatricality to it, and in, in covered also against this face of like actual post warism. Um, and it just, you know, it, it came after a time of, of just like, it was just this perfect moment in time. Um, and it was, it, it, instead of being um, a complete miss and, and a fear of a miss, it was a kind of stake in the ground mm-hmm. by which all these strings could be run around mm-hmm. to like be like, do you want to know not necessarily who I am, but do you want to know like what I find funny, what I find entertaining, how I want a story to unfold. 
how I want comedy to work. You know, mm-hmm. do I don't be fascist instead of facetious. Just you know, mods like a, a bare like barely of a wordplay there, but like that, like I like years before I had done a play. A Ton Stoppard play, and I'd played a, a guy who was supposed to have a British accent, but I could do a British accent to save my life. And instead of saying an old Canadian province, I put on the worst accent I could and said old Canadian province. <laughs> and so just the mispronunciations of words or the misunderstandings of things. Um, like, it is kind of, it's kind of that film where if you want to, like, a distillation of my art identity of what I want in art, mm-hmm. this is it. It's just absurd, nonsensical, but following a kind of archetypal trajectory um, and done with such, you know, astute care to to visual storytelling beats when mm-hmm. Donnie dies, you know, having everything fall to black, but the stars of the oh, bowling alley yeah. are just genius and and you know there there are real storytelling beat that works but they're not like accentuated um this is like the distillation of of the modern film of what i want to see and next week will be a distillation of what i want what i want to see in classical film and then you know my number one is just uh but yeah if somebody says like mario what do you look for in the movie I show that I would say these two films, and it is the Big Lebowski, and next then my uh, mm-hmm. two, because this one has a sad Amy Man in it. It's always oh, Amy Man. The um, she just gets her toe cut off. Is she the nihil? Oh, yeah. right. I always forget. I, I always see that and always forget that it's Amy Man. I always feel bad for her. She seems like she actually had a tough time, <laughs> or she went totally method just to play this. <laughs> This fake German nihilist who gets She's a token. Like, I'm going to get him back with dear sister. Um, I, I I talked about this when we did it for mine. Um, it was uh, 1999, I think, or early 2000. So we got it on video. I feel like it was spring, though. But maybe it was my senior year of high school, the spring. But I didn't feel like it was that close to graduation. But it could have been. Uh, we got it on video. You we rented it in 2000. 2000. Uh, we rented it and we went. We skipped school and we went to D'Angelo's and got some footlong subs and we got some uh, uh, Bud Lights, you know, Coors Lights. And we went to my friend's house and we turned it on, kind of not knowing. Like he had an older sister that had seen it, and so we, uh, it was recommended to us, so we got it and we watched it and we just all fucking died for like two hours or however long this movie is. Um, it was easily at the time, and probably still is in a lot of ways, like the funniest movie I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Um, this it, and Naked Gun are the two funniest films. Well, that's the thing. So, like, you kind of talked about the idea that, like, oh, this is what I want in comedy. Like, comedy for me really s- doesn't start here because I was really into Monty Python and I was really into, like, Chris Rock, or not Chris Rock, uh, Chris Farley uh, doing SNL stuff. But um, this for me was kind of the pinnacle because it's trying very hard to convince you that it isn't funny well you know what, you know what it is and and maybe this is a weird read of it it's really twainy like it has a re- and i would never say that because mark twain fucking sucks but 
I mean, if you, there's nothing horribly racist about anything that's happening here. No, fair. And there's nothing like, disgustingly elitist and pretending to be a man of the people about anything that's happening here. Um, but I mean, there's like um, a subterfuge attempt at like humor. Like, still trying to be funny, but covering our subterfuge. Well, see, that's the thing, and I don't even... I, I'm also, not even sure. I think I... Jesus. I, I've told you, like, Mark Twain is, like, the backbone of, like, me as a kid, right? Well, you should fix that. <laughs> I mean, I, I've grown out of them, but I've told, like, I get into literature through Twain. Which is fine. I get into literature from Chuck Palahniuk, but I acknowledge that Chuck Palahniuk is garbage. But I'm, what I'm saying is, is, like, what this is... The way in which the... the I mean, they're doing it by two different avenues, but you could see that, like, there is a similar vein of comedy enterprise, I should say, that is happening in both of them, in terms of narrative so? undertellings. Because I, 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 think, I think a lot of kind of, like, so it is sort of things. And I, I guess maybe a better description would then be a later description would be like a Vonnegut style. Uh, uh, it's more Vonnegut-y than it is. Yeah, but I think I, I see Vonnegut has kind of uh, you know uh, and I would actually coming put, after like a, I, like a Twain I extension. Mean, I guess so. I, I mean, I would probably argue it's more um, the guy that wrote Catch-22. Heller. Heller, yeah. Um, because it's it's absurd but it's also done you can't make this movie without experts and i don't think i think the interesting thing about this film is that nobody was going into it looking at it and saying like oh yeah john q or john cusack jeff bridges john goodman and steve buscemi you know what they are they're experts at comic timing they're going to hit every single beat in a single take in the exact place you want it i think i think goodman would have been the, the but goodman bat. didn't have to do this when he was in roseanne no but I or think, arachnophobia i think i think goodman is the type of person where they're like oh if bridges and buscemi don't work see but this is here's be. but this is the thing i think at the time and you might be able to speak to this jp people didn't think goodman had this in him like there was a real sense i don't know if you saw any of that do you remember any of the linda trip snl stuff a little bit, yeah. When John Goodman was Linda Tripp, and he was actively like campaigning for an Oscar nomination for this because people saw this were like, holy fucking shit. Like, this is not a thing that John Goodman does. Like, Goodman doesn't do this. Yeah, but I remember. Well, he was a little nuts in Raising Arizona. Sure, sure, sure. Part. But like, at the time when this came out, people were just like, this is a new thing. Yeah, but I remember, I remember like the. Like, as a kid, at least, the people that like, extolled what he was doing, arachnophobia, and being like, oh, of the one thing that works in arachnophobia is this. But it doesn't work in the same way that it works in The Big no. Lebowski. I mean, John Goodman was famous, and he was a good actor, and he was whatever. But he wasn't, um, not even just this angry or this, I think it was more of like a this committed to something, in a way that I think he's, part of Goodman's problem later in his career was that he kept trying to go back to the Coens to kind of reinvigorate whatever he thought he was going to do. So, like, he did that terrible turn in, like, Oh, Brother, Where Art Thou? Um, you know, Barton, I mean, Barton Fink, he, I still say he should have been. Well, he, he should have. There's a bunch of stuff. For me, the, for us, though, it was one of those things where it was... I've always seen this movie as a relationship movie. And it's a relationship between three guys who know each other, like, literally the back of their hands and who have the same conversation... 
literally all the time. I can't imagine that any of them talk to anybody else except for maybe Donnie, who talks to the guys in the league office sometimes. But that fucking that kraut. <laughs> um, I love when he like asks who's over. Who's like in charge over there? He's like Burkhalter, and he's like that fucking crowd. Like he doesn't even acknowledge like Burkhalter individually. It's just every Burkhalter represents everybody. Um, but it was a movie about buddies. No, he says crowd. I think I don't think he says crowd. I thought I said crowd. I thought he said, I didn't think he said crowd. I thought he said crowd. You think so? I, I, think, I think he think did. It's crowd. I don't know no, because I, no, saves... I think I think it, I think it builds into the humor earlier. When he says, you know, when um, Walter says that's not the preferred nomenclature but with it, Chinaman. Because, like, it, but it, he continually does see, but that. But it's always very Vietnam-centric. He doesn't do it for other stuff. Okay, but the Germans had a really big... Didn't the Germans have a really big Vietnam presence? I thought. From, like, the European aspect of it. I, I don't did. know. Did they? I mean, if they did, it's... I mean... But also, that Walter... I mean, it doesn't Walter, matter. But also, Walter would have... Bit. I mean, I don't want to do this with Big Lebowski, but I know I one hundred. You're doing it now. I think he, you I did think it he already. says that kraut. But I mean, it does. Is that really super important to you? I know. I mean, I mean, I'm like legitimately asking you: Is that important? No, 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 no. no okay. No, no, no. So, um, for me, this is like, for me, this is a buddy movie. It's a movie about buddies, and like, it's a definition. The best the, the the reason this movie works so well for me is that it's it is they're very defined people. I think the Coen brothers, in a lot of ways, have been kind of searching or trying to make a movie like this um, ever since they made it. So they have you know they make Fargo and then they make this. And I think in a lot of ways those two movies are like their classic films. And then they accidentally make a bunch of classic films after that in No Country for Old Men, in Serious Man, in Inside Lou and Davis. But they didn't intentionally. They didn't intentionally do any of that. This is the this one of the, the joys and miracles of this movie is how fucking intentional it is. Is that they wrote this script and they cast these guys and they delivered everything in like a perfect in a way that like I, they probably couldn't even have dreamed it was gonna be um, delivered. But they've said that it was de- like this is how it was written. This is how it was delivered. And I think that stuff makes it so not just funny but it's like compelling in its humor which is a thing that like i have stepbrothers on my list stepbrothers is not compelling in its humor it's just fucking stupid and hilarious uh tommy boy is not compelling in its humor naked gun is not compelling in its humor it's just funny airplane this movie is this movie's humor is Accidental Taurus. You just accidental Taurus, yeah. Well, yeah, because you want to see what like new kooky Gina Davis thing is gonna or new kooky thing Gina Davis is gonna do. You want to hear whatever conversation Walter and the dude are gonna have next, and then or not even Walter and the dude, because you think it's just Walter and the dude at first, and then it turns out that every conversation that the dude has with anybody is works on its own level, has its own unique kind of cadence to it, um, has its own vernacular is weird in ways that other conversations aren't and is funny in ways that other conversations aren't, but every single one works. Every single instance works. But even when those change, like when, you know, the Jesus comes in or when they go to Larry Summers' house, you know, this is what happens. I mean, me and my friends were saying this is what happens when you fuck, uh, when you fuck a stranger in the ass to each other for like the next 10 years. Um, 
Not not this is what happens when you meet a stranger in the Alps. No, not what happens when you meet a stranger in the Alps. Um, we were one of the best edits ever for a film. Oh, on TV. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Do you see what happens when you fuck a stranger? It's just it's just amazing. But everything like, about it is I don't, amazing. I don't think if you meet a stranger in the Alps, they they do that. I no, think they might just say hi. But I also think that it works on a on a. I think it, it on works a on like levels. a meta level. Yeah. Um. So the humor here is not just, it's not just funny. It is, and it doesn't just provide like the reason that the movie exists. It is literally just the way these guys talk. It's the backbone of the whole movie. Like I can see somebody watching this movie and not finding any of this funny because like in a lot of ways it's not funny. But if you are so inclined to like find this stuff humorous, it's it's just it's just a miracle. I mean, it's just like almost seems like it was like made by God. It almost doesn't seem like the Coen brothers had anything to do with it because they would spend the next like 20 years making kind of like weird versions of the same thing. I mean, their last movie, you know, uh, Ballad of Buster Scruggs is fine. Hail Caesar is fucking trash. I mean, it's. I guess it's better than most trash because it's Coen Brothers, but it still sucks. Every movie they've made with George Clooney sucks ass. Um, you know, they're they are just uh, they're like miss machines now in a lot of ways. Like they like you just don't know what's going to happen when you watch one of their movies. And so when you when you encounter like I No mean, Country for Old hit, Men, you're like more than they miss. Not anymore, I don't think. I think they miss. I think they've hit three times in the last twenty years. Since Big Lebowski, they've hit three times for me. Serious Man. Serious Man, No, no Country, and Inside Lewin Davis. Davis. Um, and then, like... Um, True Grit's not bad, but it's a remake. But it's True Grit's a remake. It's, it's kind a of movie. I think Buster... We talked about, we talked about Buster's Grit. Buster's Grit, Buster Scruggs, I feel the same way about it. It's kind of... It's very underwhelming. It's kind of plays on a lot of the Cohen like their own that, cliches. Yeah, it seems that, very self-referential. The Tom Waits scene one is, is great. The Tom Waits scene is good. That's a and, thing. and the Brendan Gleeson final scene is... Well, and I think the Liam Neeson scene is good too, but not because of Liam Neeson. Um, because of Harry... Because of, of Harry... Um, uh, Harry Melling. Yeah. Um, but it's... I wouldn't go so far as to say that they're making now... When they make a movie, it's a good movie. But I think Buster Scruggs... I think, like, But I think, to be fair, I think Buster Scruggs has, is generally considered... It's fine. And that's like a special Netflix type thing. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. But I'm saying it's they make fine movies because of the Coen brothers. They still yeah, make but good movies. But then you're saying like there's you're saying like Hail so Hail Caesar's a miss. Um Intolerable Cruelties Intolerable oh, Cruelties a miss. miss. Oh Brothers Oprah a miss. Rochelle. Man who wasn't there is int- is really interesting, but like is it successful? I just, like I just don't I don't necessarily think they're trying to re do the Lebowski. I don't think, I think, they're, I think, I don't think they're trying I think to like, redo Lebowski either. I think the point is that the Lebowski is Lebowski is an organic thing. It's a fully realized world with a whole bunch of fully realized characters, and they've only kind of... I think they've attempted that a couple times. They've only touched on it, though. I think Hail Caesar... I think some of their big misses are that, or are considered their big misses. Like, I think Hail Caesar's an attempt to do that. I think Lady Killers is an attempt to do that. Sure. I like Lady Killers. I'm the only one, I think, in the but world. But you would admit that it's not, like a, it's not like a good no, movie. No, it's just... It's dumb fun. Sure. Um... Like I think Marlon Wayans and Tom Hanks were one hundred percent like, well, this is what this is. Um, no, I think Tom Hanks was actively trying to be in a Coen Brothers movie. No, 
I, and then he, but, but if you look at Tom Hanks's filmography, we could talk about this on like a like you know next year when we're figuring out what to do here. Tom Hanks, I think, actively tries to work with good directors and then ends up making their worst movie, <laughs> like or or like their less good movies. I mean, he did pretty good work with Clint Eastwood. <laughs> Maybe if he works with a shitty director, he makes a good movie. Tom for Hanks. Yeah. What movie did he make with Clint Eastwood? Um, uh, Sully is a better modern Clint Eastwood movie. Post Letters from Iwo Jima? Well, if anything, Post Letters from Iwo Jima is really worth watching. Yeah, but say Sully of Post of post Letters from Iwo Jima is Sully's I don't know if Sully Sullinger needs a movie. He doesn't, but I'm just saying. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I'm not, I'm not like a big Sully guy because the whole time I was watching it was like, this guy just didn't crash a plane. I mean, he did. Like, but, but successfully But also crashed didn't it. crash a plane. <laughs> didn't crash, but I'm not sure. But are you, gonna, are you Richard Jewell is, is the, the top of the... No, just say he didn't make anything good. I'm just saying he doesn't make the worst from directors. No, no, no. But he also makes... But, like, this is like a... Uh, yeah, it doesn't matter. But, no, I... But I, I think I, the point of that I'm trying to make is I'm not trying to single out, like, necessarily single out a bunch of movies. Is that I'm trying to say that The Big Lebowski is is unique in ways that a lot of their other movies try to be and Absolutely. fail. And it's unique in ways that are interest are more interesting, I think, because it's so easy to understand. Like, it follows a very noir script. It has a noir revelation at the end. It's about a kidnapping. It's about, a, you know, it's a million dollars. There's a ransom note. Um, Do you know what? There's all this stuff. It's very, it's very by the books, a certain kind of movie. The movie, a kind of movie that the Coen brothers had made before. But this movie is more fully realized. It's um, more like it's weirdly, it's got violent in it. It's got some set pieces in it, but it's also funny in ways Timo that Burnett actually doing good work yeah. as a music supervisor. Oh, it's, it's funny in ways that none of their other movies are funny. Do you know what? Do you know what? Actually, uh, I, I guess that my, this is my first time watching it since um, a movie I'd watched last year that it shows up on showed up on my top of the year last year um the thing that this most i I don't want to say this but it weirdly just responded to this time it's like their most kaufman-esque movie and i don't mean to say like that's like they're all this is like a kaufman movie but it's just like their knowledge like i think this and serious man are two like most of that like because kaufman's like throwing as much knowledge as he does into the world he's building, mm-hmm. right? Um, no matter where it comes from. And I think Lebowski, like, comes from this knowledge of, like, film and literature. Uh, a Serious Man comes this, from this knowledge of mythology and religion. Um, and, and more of, like, a theatricality, and, and like, like a play-style theatricality, um, like, in terms of, like, a base tragedy. Uh, so, yeah, I, I guess because... I guess this is like I looked at this as like oh it's like the, the it had this perfectionism to it and had this intentionality and I don't even know if it's an intentional intentionality mm-hmm. if that yeah, yeah. makes any sense whatsoever but it it is it does feel as though they had it has the strongest sense of of purpose but it also has a strongest sense of place and self-awareness, mm. which is, I think, kind of rare for their movies. And it's self-awareness Rolling that Rock works. Is so good. Oh, Rolling Rock, Rolling Rock is great. So, okay, so that's us coming at it from, like, a remove. 
JP, you said you saw it in the theaters. Yes. Were you, what was the what was the response like in your crowd to the Big Lebowski in 1998? Well, crowd would be the wrong term. Oh, it was just. But even when I saw Fargo, there was nobody there. And uh, really? Yeah. And uh, but yeah, Big Lebowski. Do you remember which theater you saw it at? No, I don't even remember definitively if I saw it with my girlfriend at the time or or with who, but. Mm-hmm. Uh, all, all I remember was walking out of it, be, walking out of it, and I still use the word. I just, I was like, well, that was just completely bonkers. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I loved it. I remember a lot of the uh, the reviews at the time were like, well, this is just, uh, we don't know what to do with this. <laughs> this post Fargo Cohen's yeah. thing is. But yeah, I was an early Cohen's adopter. From you know, I saw Raising Arizona. You know, when it was on HBO after it came out. So I was like 16 or whatever. Uh-huh. And so from there, I saw everything except Miller's Crossing in the theater. And uh, I mean, I loved it. I was like, this is the craziest thing I've ever seen. I don't know how they packed all these esoteric characters <laughs> into um, I even just now, I, I watched it again today, and one of my favorite things is David Thewlitz. Oh, I know. Oh, I wanted to mention David Thewlitz. Knox Harrington, yeah. <laughs> um, no, but the best part of the David Thewlitz thing is that we're thinking the whole time, who the fuck is this guy? And then the dude is just like, who the fuck is this guy? Yeah, yeah. And just like, oh, it's Knox Harrington, the visual artist. And he's just like, okay. But, uh, yeah, it was just like, I've never seen anything like this, and... I don't think I have still. I mean, I, I agree with you about the, you know, um, being John Malkovich is probably the next thing I saw. That was, uh, and that was uh, actually pretty close in time, right? But uh, it was a year later. later. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And 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 that was like this is bold. this is pretty crazy. But. Yeah, and I wonder why that is. I wonder if there was a bunch of like like writers for film that were just like, yeah, we've seen everything like a hundred times. Or more, let's just do something different. I mean, best movie year ever talks all about that. Sure, sure, sure. So. Yeah, and it, like the Big Lebowski is obviously who's, not. Who's the author of that book? We talked about Brian that. Raftery. Brian Raftery, yeah. And like, obviously, this isn't a part of that, but it kind of feels a piece with a lot of those movies where it was just like, oh, yeah, you're expecting us to do this, so we're just going to blow it up. And we're, we're not going to blow it up to the point like, we're still going to use T-Bone Burnett, and we're still going to use Roger Deakins, and we're writing it and directing it and producing it, and we're going to use like some of the actors that we like and all this other stuff. Um, we're going to put Peter Stormare in a part where he doesn't, <laughs> doesn't have to say much. Um, but it just feel it felt so new when I saw it. I mean, I, I mean, so you said bonkers. When I left that day, I thought my life had changed. Like somehow, like not in like a like serious way that I could say definitively like that, like that told me how to live. But I was just like, there is no other movies. There's no other movies like this. And I've seen exactly. a lot of stuff exactly. and there's, yep. this is it. This is the one thing. And, and so when you rewatch it, you're just like, it makes it even better because, you know, I don't think we caught what paying with a check for a 69 cent, like, you know. Carton of creamer that you opened and sniffed in like the thing. I didn't know what that meant at the, when I was nineteen. Excuse me, when I was eighteen years old. Also, I, I, found, I found that hilarious when I was like first old. Right, but like I, the thing when we were, I, we were drinking Coors. That was as far as like drinking out for us or sneaking armor uh, uh, amaretto 
out of our friend's dad's liquor cabinet and like putting it into some cokes, and then and and then like sneaking the cokes into the, like the patch in the woods where you would like sometimes drink stuff, and you drink it and be like, oh, I'm getting so drunk, like that type of thing, like that's that was that was drinking for us. So like the white Russian thing didn't have the same. Like, I couldn't connect with the white Russians, so then me and my friends, all we did for the next, like, two or three years was drink white Russians. Until, like, I got totally fucking shit-faced before going to see a James Bond movie and threw up in my lap and then passed out. Oh, shit. You had a, you had a James... Wait, what James Bond movie? It was the one of the Pierce Brosnan ones. It was... We talked about this on the podcast before. It was one of the... The one when he... They have, like, a... Uh, a tank chase over like a glacier. Oh, so that's um, die another day. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, that's, I threw. That's, I think that's die another day. Whatever movie it was, I threw up in my lap, and then I just passed out, and then everyone stepped over me to leave, and they're like, "Oh yeah, the movie's over," and that was, it. and that was the last time I drank White Russian until today. Because I drank like a, I, I drank like a plastic cup like this. Have I White Russian? Have I told you my nightmare? We both have a nightmare. Bond drinking story. No, no, I don't think you have. Is so, it a, is it Pierce Brosnan related? Also, it's, no, this is Daniel Craig. Ah, remember, okay, I'm like continue. four years before you. Um, so I was super stoked about Casino Royale coming out. Mm-hmm. Nobody else in my friend group was, except for my girlfriend at the time. Uh, and and so I, in my excitedness, was like, oh, let's watch like a couple of the Brosnan movies. Let's let's go see like Casino Royale at like four o'clock. Mm-hmm. We'll go back. I bought a bottle. I mean, I had secured a bottle because we had like a friend. I wasn't twenty one at the time, but um, I don't think they're coming to get you. <laughs> secured a bottle of of vodka and a bottle of um of uh, dry um, Martin Rossi vermouth um, and a couple packages of olives. And I was like, "Let's do this!" And we'll watch, you know, some of the old Bond movies at like the top two the Bond movies afterwards. Mm-hmm. And then I'll make us all martinis because I've always been making a cocktail guy. Mm-hmm. And nobody besides my girlfriend at the time was interested in drinking martinis or in like I had this this habit of being really into creating events and being friends with people who don't care about events except for like one person. Mm-hmm. And so I ended up just drinking half a bottle of vodka and um the the full like bottle of vermouth by myself and i was upset and went to bed and my girlfriend was upset with me because i just got shit faced because i was upset about the event and she came in and <laughs> caught me almost choking on my vomit and turned me to my side james bond yeah can i tell you my nightmare james bond story? of course <laughs> jesus yeah <laughs> Trio, trio. This is now called episode's now called Nightmare James Bond experience. <laughs> my Nightmare James Bond story is my friend Jeff Stebla. Yep. Uh, big Bond fan. Is he really? That's yeah. not surprising, actually. Yeah. Now that I think about it, he once made me watch Goldfinger starting at like ten o'clock at night, mm-hmm. and then kept checking in on me to make sure I wasn't asleep. And all I wanted to do was not watch that movie because yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't care about Bond. No, I, I like the, the action-y Bond movies more. So you were falling asleep and he just kept waking you up? Yeah, he's like, he's like, oh, you know, like, you were falling asleep. I'm like, See, yeah, even yeah, like yeah. I talked about Amadeus. J- JP, I'm not, I'm not gonna, 
not gonna discredit that 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 story there, but like I almost died during yeah. mine. You should probably you should probably should have jumped in yeah. after Tom did it. Yeah. That'll tell you mine. I'm like, well, that's tough. <laughs> I mean, you were like, let me tell you something. No, but that's I mean, no, no, the end. You want to sleep, James Bond story? You want to sleep? No, the, my nightmare James Bond story is that I was forced to watch a James Bond movie. Well, I that's guess, I guess that is you were tortured. You're basically yeah. it's like what I used to it do. It was to, basically when Mad Mickelson got the rope and was just slapping Daniel Craig in the nuts in Casino Royale. That's basically what happened to you. Did he slap you in the nuts with the rope? Uh, I'm not a comment. <laughs> no, that was uh, it's like what I used to do to the girls for Amadeus. And I, was, I wouldn't wake him up. I'd be like, "Good, nah. fuck them. They're asleep." I'm watching Amadeus, but you're stuff now. But your wife passed the test. Right. It shows that the, the she's the Amadeus, my wife now. Shows the Amadeus test wasn't. It wasn't about the Amadeus. It was about them as people. Oh, actually, it was probably more accurately about me as people. <laughs> but the great, thing, but interestingly, for the Big Lebowski, like I would never make someone watch the Big Lebowski. No, because I would just assume they would hate it. See. The only time I'd well, ever have somebody watch right? The Big Lebowski... Maybe if, my kids. I would have somebody watch The Big Le- If they were like, I want to get you. Get, like, what okay, you but, like. Right, get what just, you, not get you, but get what you like. Well, I'm it's gonna, like a litmus test, right? It's like you're either, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're either going for the ride or, and, and you respond to it, or, or you're just like, this is... But if somebody stupid. did find it funny, so I would have been drinking white Russians, and we got a table full of Rolling Rocks, and there's this weirdly out-of-place G-Bot just sitting here. You had kind of... You mentioned it earlier about like what it is about this movie that like you like, but if someone wanted to get you, are there specific instances like things that happen in this movie that like I I'm, I want to say tickle because I find this like I'm just like tickled by this movie now so like it's like it's the reason that's like twenty something on my list and not like higher because I've kind of processed everything there was to process out of it for me and now I'm just like why well, just this movie is. And I fucking hate the word delightful, so excuse me. I just find this movie like delightful, no, which is a fine. weird thing to find about this. So much no, to so find about this perfect. movie. So there's there's three particular like jokes that work for me, and it is when uh, Walter says that's not the preferred nomenclature, and then immediately <laughs> says Chinaman himself. When Maud says fascist instead of facetious, and the entire um, Eagles discussion in the cab won the fucking. Well, that was a big deal for me. Yeah, cab driver just like loses his shit because I didn't realize Which... that I also hated the Eagles until like the big little until the dude was like, oh, "I fucking hate the Eagles, man." And I was just like, "It gave you, it gave you permission to." Oh, not... See, I'm a big Eagles guy. I like. Oh my god, I love you the get the fuck out! Of... Why are you in this side of the country? Get the fuck out of here! <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You like the Eagles. I also hate Seinfeld. Don't forget that. Um, I know it's just it's awful. But like I, but when I watched it. I was like, oh right, there are Eagles fans who like would lose their shit over that. Oh, yeah. And I watched that going like, this is a joke. A lot of people are gonna not understand. But this is like makes so much sense but, for like the West Coast. But that's the thing. So the Brett, you know, remember when Brett Easton Ellis podcast was like a normal podcast when he would talk to. Like filmmakers and writers about I mean, normal the things. Second, you put it behind a paywall. I kind of, actually the Eli Roth episode. I kind of gave up. The Eli Roth episode, a great episode, I think. But well, I think, but that's a podcast one episode. So as oh. soon as he went to Patreon, it became weird. I mean, I didn't listen to right like, post paywall. Um, so there's some there's some pretty good episodes, but they're very politically oriented. Doesn't matter. Um, wait, what was I going to say? 
Uh, but you're talking about Brest, you're talking about West Coast, probably East. Oh, so Coast. he start, he did this thing at the end of every episode. You might even remember where he like asked people what they thought about the Eagles. Yeah. Like, and I have to assume that stuff came from the Big Lebowski because I think the Big Lebowski gave permission to people to say like, "Oh yeah, these songs are stupid," and like Don Henley stinks, and Hotel California is too long, and the only good thing about Hotel California is watching Joe Walsh play it on the hell freezes over acoustic thing when he would do the thing with his fingers and you'd be like oh my god he's actually playing that solo it didn't just like fall out of the sky okay is this like, the east coast thing really quickly i don't know do you yeah. like the eagles no no grateful I, dead Walsh is the only redeeming thing is grateful dead i kind of feel the thing? same way about the grateful dead that i do about the eagles okay but we know a guy whose name is chris who would disagree with you or us i had a dead phase but did you really yeah Chris made me a bunch of tapes, and I okay. Uh, fish, I, I guess. Fish would be a little more. Yeah, okay, maybe, maybe, maybe that's not. I, I I didn't know East Coast because I I do know like the West Coast East Coast thing is, and I've said this for years is I fucking hate Seinfeld and I like Friends. Do you like Fish though? No, I hate I I think jam bands are the but that, most gar- and that's the garbage my biggest thing in the world. Problem with I don't think that's coastal though. I think that's like my biggest problem. With yeah, I just didn't know if there was like a East Coast band. No, I don't. Is there an East Coast? I don't know if there's an East Coast band. I'm, I'm too mean, out of, of it. Of the people I've talked to from the East Coast, every like, most of the people who are around my age like Bruce Springsteen. I think he's fucking awful. Yeah, mm, and, I don't but know I think, about that. I don't know. I'm not like in tune enough with Springsteen to know if he. Travels. But my biggest problem with the but, dead. No, and, do you like, like say, Springsteen? Bruce Springsteen, and it's not their fault. But the people who are fans of those things. It's like all they like or stuff that they right. like stuff that the dead endorse by like you know. Well, being how about this? How about this? Like, what's your guys' opinion of Springsteen? I like Springsteen, but I'm not like a I'm not like a Springsteen guy. Yeah, the Springsteen yeah, guys don't like much else. I think I would hate a Springsteen concert because an hour into or like twenty minutes into right. a Tenth Avenue freeze out, I'd be like, all right, I gotta go. But yeah. is that like? I wonder if that's like East Coast thing. Like, I, I I like the Eagles, but I'm sure twenty minutes into an Eagles concert, I'd be like, I'm done. But I'm like, I'm like, I appreciate what they did to West Coast. I don't think the, that Springsteen sounds East Coast. I think the Eagles sound West Coast. Yeah. Because it almost seems like they can't be bothered. Like, so when they're saying, they're, like, take it hard, easy, they're, they're saying, hard, like, yeah. justifying their own, like, kind of malaise. Okay, here's a, here's a, here's, here's a musician I find okay. Okay. But I don't necessarily love him. And I know a lot of people from the East Coast love him. Uh, company of ours that we all know included. Billy Joel. I, so here's the thing. I feel like Billy Joel has to be considered all-encompassing. I think he's all-encompassing, yeah. But then he's transferred a to a new uh, an East Coast thing when the residency at, the, at MSG started. So basically you had to travel to see him. But he also like kind of stopped playing like, like new. He doesn't play like New York State of Mind stuff, does he? Or does he oh, play yeah. it every night? Eagles play. Eagles play in a New York minute. New York minute, right? So which is not, I assume, a, a New York song. I think. Ooh, so my whole thing with the Eagles is yeah, now I have New York minute in my head. My the, mm. my problem with the Eagles can I think can be defined by like one specific thing. It's like. Don Henley? The big, well, so it is Don Henley in a way. It's like, you know, the Hotel California intro, and then you just get, and then it's just like, what? Especially when Joe Walsh is going crazy at the end of the song. You're like, but here's the thing. Here's another thing about the Eagles. You take 
the great all-time end of guitar, end of song guitar solos. And I think there's two. It's or I want to compare two. I want to compare Hotel California with Freebird because they kind of operate in the same level. There's one song, and then there's just a long, a, a, an equal length song of guitar solo. Freebird sounds like whoever's playing that is gonna die, and they're not playing all those triplets because they want to. They're playing them because they fucking have to, or or their plane will crash and they'll burst into flames. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that's you, a bad joke. No, no, it's fair. It, but if, it, like, the, the time is I feel bad. like a Leonard Skinner fan would be like, yeah, that's what it sounds like. It sounds like there's something's happening. They're conjuring something. It's fucking evil, but also great at the same time. The the um, Hotel California solo, which is, I think, one of the reasons why I responded so deeply to the Gypsy Kings version of it, is because it's so loose. Is so organized. I hate that it's so like Deliberate. it's broken up into measures. Exactly. There's like I'm gonna play this for this long, and then I'm gonna play this for this long. I'm not gonna bend any notes, you know, except for the. It's, just, it's lazy. It's just like, it's just like, but that's why the Gypsy it. Kings, because they, you know, the Jesus comes and he starts licking his ball. He puts his hand out and he starts licking his ball, and then like he does the thing. But those those notes that they're playing sound so loose. You know what I mean? Mm. And 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 free. And if you listen to that whole that whole song is so long, but like it's just it's finger picked. It's you know, it's got per, it's got a percussive quality to it. It's just genius where the um the eagle stuff is just like, "Oh, uh you know, drop in the guitar solo here. We're going to play the guitar solo to a click track and every beat every note is going to hit on the exact on the beat." It's and kind of like Iron Butterfly's drum solo. Like from Inagata Devita? Yeah. That's like... No way, that's great, because those guys were fucking high. Yeah, it is, but it's still... I mean, I played... It still retains a beat, I played drums high before. I'm sure you played drums high before. There was one time me and my buddy Carl were... He was playing keyboards, and I was playing drums. We played the same thing for, like, two hours. Mm -hmm. And I was... And, like, I had my snares off, and I was just, like... It was... I can't even remember what the beat was, but it literally felt like... The only thing in the world that made any sense was this beat I was playing, and we just right. played it because we were so fucking high. I get that. There's no, no way the Eagles were that high. No, probably not. They were just normal. But here's the thing about the Big Lebowski. Let's tie it together. The great thing about the Big Lebowski is that the dude is never drunk. No, never. Walter is just angry at everything all the time. Donnie's confused. Donnie's confused, but is Donnie confused? No, he's just trying to... Get into the conversation. But I feel like... I think the prevailing thought is that Donnie is, like, right on everything. Right? He's just... He's, like, right on top of everything. But he's, like, they won't let him in. Um, And that's, I think, the beauty... I don't know. The eye on the roll where stuff is kind of... But it's kind of... It, it's... Thing. I don't know. There's something about... Is that a, that is a big spider? <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that's a huge spider. Um, there's something about it when he says like Lenin. Um, there's something very vaguely I am the walrusy about the stuff that the dude is saying. Yeah, that's right. You know what I mean? And the fact that the dude kind of decides he's going to reach branch out to his knowledge base, which is like, I love the fact that like we want to think that bowling is a hobby, but no, the bowling is his whole life. 
I love like the Nixon bowling picture is only rivaled as a background picture by the stuff that's happening in Owen Wilson's apartment in the, in the Royal Tenenbaums. <laughs> like as just kind of like, wait a second, wait a second. I missed that like the first time. Yeah. That's just Nixon bowling. And you know, he's listening to like, what is it? Classic, classic frames or something on his headphones. Um, <laughs> he's just laying on his floor, like passed out. Um, it's just like, I think the, the problem with the Coen brothers in a lot of ways is that like, they just, I think they've tried to inhabit a space that fully realized and they just, they just haven't been able to do it. And is it because they knew that guy that like they based the dude off of? Is it because like they had like frames of reference and they didn't have a frame of reference for like intolerable cruelty. They didn't have a frame of reference for burn after reading, which I think is a separate podcast kind of, looking at Burn After Reading and being like, all these people are trying to be in the Big Lebowski. Yeah, but they're just right. failing miserably. Even though the culture has decided, like, now that Burn After Reading is, like, a great movie. I like it, but I don't think it's, it's great. Fun. Right, but it's not the Big Lebowski. Right, yeah. Um, it's fucking Spider-Man. It's creeping me out. Is it really? Do you have a spider thing? No, I don't have a spider thing. I just don't like spiders over me. <laughs> That's, like, not a small spider. No, it's like not a dangerous spider. It's a medium no, spider. it's not a dangerous spider. But we're in the pivotal, pivotal film towers. The ceilings are high here. Yeah. That spider close up is going to be much bigger than it is from where we're sitting. Oh, yeah. It Mar- might be a tarantula. Mario is most in danger. Do you want to move? Do you yeah, want to? Who's gonna? Oh! Oh! Did it fall into the? Did it fall into the white <laughs> Russian? Yeah, it's right there. Yeah, no, it's there, but. Oh, it moved! Did you see that? I did. It's horrifying. He was playing dead. Nope. He's afraid. No, he's, no, he's not playing dead. I don't like. I don't like killing spiders. All right. That spider was in a bad spot. So let's. So, let's end it. What's your favorite scene? There are. I'm assuming there are. There are many. Can I say my yeah. least favorite scene? Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's your least? I favorite was going to ask what doesn't work. All right, what doesn't work for you? Uh, is the after he gets drugged by um, Jackie Treborn and mm-hmm. it goes into that kind of gutter ball sequence? Oh yeah, yeah. I hate that. I think it the visually, second dream sequence. Yeah, I think yeah. the first dream sequence works well, but uh, like and visually the second one works well, especially like those high walls, which I assume like were painted, mm. kind of like like set paintings. But I just I think it's too off. From like the rest of the film's tone, mm-hmm. and that scene has never worked for me. It just, it just kind of like it kind of um, mismatches with how that film's going. Is it like? Um, it's there, like leaning too much into its like absurdity. Could they have? Of, is it too long? It's not even. It's or I, is it I, just the fact that they did it at all? No, it's it's. Yeah, I think it's they do it at all. It, it's um, it's like a. It's a Zucker Abram Zucker joke, yeah, and that's the problem with it. Is it's mm-hmm. like it's a joke that is kind of like just for the sake of existing and being kind of like tongue in cheek and funny, um, and I don't think it serves any major purpose. We already know no, he's doesn't. he's sexually attracted to Mod. We don't need the callback to Saddam Hussein. I think visually, from a Deacon standpoint, it's great, but and you know just fucking. Um, choreography. <laughs> Jeff Bridges' goofy ass face as he looks yeah. up at the wall of shoes is great, um, but I think we've had all of that serviced previously. I think all those slow motion shots earlier with Deacons, 
you know, they're choreographed so incredibly well work in that space. Um, and well, I just, I just don't feel as though it's doing anything. It's funny. I feel as though it, like, it, it makes too much of a yeah, pause. Yeah, yeah, A late thing, a late kind of Tom Nolan autobiography thing that I've internalized, I think, from that. And I, I haven't, like, thought about it consciously, but I'm assuming it's probably true, is that, like, sometimes when I'm writing something, if I'm stuck, I'll just do something fucking nuts just to get me out of it and to into the other thing. And I feel this way about Pearl Jam as a band now, too, where they'll, like, write a half a song and they'll be like, now what do we do? Yeah. And they'll be like, let's just do this thing. Yeah, and it'll be like a bam, 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 and then it'll be a chorus, and you'll because they just need to get out of the one thing into the other thing. So I don't think they felt comfortable being like, "How is the dude on the street now to get picked up by the cops to get into the cops' office where he has the great conversation about the beach community?" But I think I, I just think like, and they just went too far. Yeah, and I think I think what would have worked there is like have him kind of like change things around there have him be picked up by the cab have the eagles conversation get dumped out on the road that leads into the now discussion but i think it, i think that's and i feel like though too though like he wakes up in the cab after being I'm, and i'm gonna go right to you after this is that there's a rhythm to the movie which i think they kind of thought that that musical number responded to it but would be it, but it sort of interrupts it. it kind yeah. of interrupts it but yeah. i feel like if they if it was like oh the you know night went dark on the dude or whatever and then they just like he was just like running he was in the cab or something like that that would be too like abrupt i feel like they were trying to go with some kind of flow but i think you're right i've always fast forwarded recently through yeah, I the fast second forwarded through that. i fast forward yeah. through the first montage i thought like i sometimes one. left the first montage because right. i like the bowling like part but I think the first one follows that same sort of vein that, like, it's not really a second montage, but when the uh, topless woman's on the trampoline, I think that... Uh, feeds, I love that. It feels that... It has that same cadence. Yeah, yeah, And I feel as though that second montage loses that, especially when you get Stormare, like, chasing, like, that kind of, like, nightmare part of it. Scissors. The scissors, yeah. yeah. I cut off your Johnson. All right, JP, go. What my... What works work? the least, Yeah. Well, I just watched it again today, and the thing that was jar—it's always jarring to me when early in the movie when uh, when Walter puts a gun in Smokey's face. Oh. It's, a, it's just a little harsh. I always love, love it. it. I love it. The thing I love about that sequence like, is uh. is the response <laughs> to it, in the fact when he gets the message from the league commissioner going like according to bylaw B blah blah, <laughs> and like yeah, that yeah. Re- that hits the like the tone. Back. Like it's so out of obviously it's so out of place from what's going on but i guess it kind of sets that tone of like all those things to yeah. come not working or yeah. not matching what you would expect um but then the kind of payoff being like right, right. the response being like well this doesn't match our bylaws is what worked for me is like oh we're always going to respond to these really obscure nonsense situations with something adding on to it right so my thing that's interesting, like from a too far standpoint or whatever, because right. my the thing that has I wouldn't say that it didn't work for me, but the thing that I always kind of like I don't know, that rubs against me like awkwardly is uh the handoff scene, like the whole handoff scene. Mm. Because okay. it's the scene where I don't like Walter. Yeah, no, I agree. And I'm I just agree. like, Oh, I love him so much, like 
leading up to this scene and after this scene, like the coffee scene and like, you know, him breaking Shabbos scene and all that stuff. Even when he picks up the Lebowski and like throws him on the ground or even the Donnie scene that seems very in character um, that he would just like kind of fuck it up like by accident. Like, you know, he's not conscious of the yeah. wind. The the the, you know, the undies scene, the making the handoff scene seems like he's it seems, I guess, consistent if he's. They had leaned more into the him having a nom problem thing, or that this 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 situation related in any way to his right. nam thing, and he was kind of he was like internalizing blah blah blah. But I don't like him for like ten minutes. He's because it's he's selfish he's and he's, he's being super selfish situation. and he's being not the right kind of idiot. Yeah, and he's the smoky thing to me seems like the right kind of idiot. Yeah, yeah. And this seems like the wrong kind of idiot. Because I think I think it has like he's he's very much a rules follower. He's very much a person who's like be set out standards, and that's the one point where like it feels like Walter wouldn't insert himself, um, or he might insert himself, but not that not in the way. way of like we should take the money. But like, again, if, if it had been a, a weird thing where he's like, you know, they're just going to try to get you like killed or something like that, or, right. or if it had been something where it's like. This something feels like because Walter's kind of established not earlier on, but like he's established as having some knowledge of like what something. is actually happening. Something, yeah. Like if it had played into like the I don't want you in the situation and fought over him with that, like don't do the handoff because it's dangerous, and then it led to like here's a false thing to get him, you know, whatever. Yeah, because I, I I do think that is the same. I think like that's the one point because then Walter immediately goes back to and it, and it pays off extremely well after Donnie's funeral. We're like. You know where Lebowski and, and the dude kind of finally loses it, and it leads to like that hug, which is I think is a great like bro hug. Yeah, um, he's ultimately not shown as a selfish. He's never a selfish person, but that's no. the one time where it's like, why is he pushing himself into this? Well, and so one of the so the second thing, or if it had been like a hey, you know, hold out for more than twenty, you're putting yourself at danger, like, right? You know, make them hold out for more sort of thing. Well, for you. But instead it was like, I'm inserting myself because I deserve a bit of this. In typical Coen Brothers fashion, I think, and I think that works. I think that's what's happening. I think what you're describing is happening because of what I'm going to describe, which is that I think they come up with a, a thing. And then they shape the movie sometimes around the thing. So I think they really liked Fuck It Dude, Let's Go Bowling. I think they liked it a lot. And so they like included it at the end of that scene like when they're just you know, it's great the it's whites great. and he's like fuck it dude let's go bowling and then but i think it works so much better in a couple of other instances and yeah. i think they wanted it to kind of be like a th- like a, a theme through the thing but when they go bowling walter's like uh he's like you know dismissive of what just happened he does like oh they're gonna kill that poor woman thing he just seems like he's being a dick yeah and like, it's a. But he's always being a dick, but it's a different kind of dick. It's well, that's a dick with a past or a dick with a history, and the dickishness seems related directly to his autobiography. The dickishness in those post, like, in in that immediate post handoff scene, seems like just being a dick to be a dick. Yeah, and that's why, like, after. Uh, the the neighbor destroys like just tears up Lebowski's car, and you know you have that phone conversation with the dude and you're Walter. Just an asshole. You're just a, you know you're you're not wrong. You're just an asshole sort of thing. A great now thing that's been used for wrestling um, has been 
you know, like it works there because he's like he's trying to help out the dude in that situation, but he's just being an idiot. Yeah, and he thinks that you know is Larry's car, so he destroys it. He's not. He's he's doing Larry it for, Sellers. We yeah. said Saunders a bunch of times. Larry Sellers. Sellers. Yeah, he's doing. I think I said Summers. Sanders. Summers. Summers. That's what we said yeah. a bunch of times. Sellers. Stephen Summers for some reason. Larry Su- Sanders is dead, and was was what you call it, Sanders. And Larry Summers is the. Financial guy, right? Is he? he Trump's financial guy? Well, I was thinking of Stephen Summers from earlier, for some reason, the mummy director, because I was had some correlation. Or to him Scott from... Summers from Double Dare. No, I did not have that. <laughs> um, but like when they have that conversation, you can you could kind of equate that to being like, oh, right. Walter's just an idiot sometimes. Or Walter's so stuck in his head for some other reason. The diner sequence. Right. Um or when he's being selfish, he's not necessarily only caring about himself. He's just in his head. Right. And I think it's, it's something that me and JP were kind of talking about earlier and something I mentioned, I definitely have mentioned to you too, is that like one of the things with the Lebowski is that we, me and my friends, one guy specifically, like really, it was like our, it was like our, the attitude of Lebowski was kind of like our, our like identity ethos for like a long time. Like that was how we did it. And to the, the point Dudism where Dudism subscription, like right. that and all that. To the point where like my friend was Walter for like most of the time I knew him until like we stopped being like, you know, communicating it through fantasy football and stuff like that. Like even to like the last time I saw him at Buffalo Wild Wings in Milford at the Kinetic Bowes Mall doing oh, a right. fantasy football draft. I forgot you did that. Like he was like, he would dip into his Walter persona for a long... I mean, he had the same kind of beard as Walter. Like, he just kind of developed... Like that pencil beard and everything. It was just, like... And so I was kind of saying to JP... Is that the a pencil beard? Is that... Is I don't know. Has? I don't know what you would call that. Um, but I was saying... so JP, clean. The same thing with John Cusack last week in High Fidelity, is that, or Rob Gordon, if you want, is that I kind of... It wasn't that I said, like, oh, I want to be that guy. I recognized aspects of myself in him... And I just kind of veered towards that. And then, like, as the years went by, I just kind of stripped away stuff. And now it's just kind of, I've, you know, processed it. And it's just kind of a part of who I am and blah, blah, blah. The movie's a part of who I am and not so much the character of Rob Gordon. But, like, something similar happened to, like, not for me so much in terms of, like, a character uh, to personality kind of transfer, like my buddy. But, like... I feel like I, I still in a lot of ways, like I see a lot of parallels and I was thinking about this a lot over the last couple of days. I see a lot of parallels between like my love of like the black crows with my love of high fidelity or my love of the big Lebowski because the big Lebowski is really laid back, but it's also, it's not laid back in a way that like, uh, smoky is the dude is not laid back like smoky. He's laid back in a different way. You know what right. I mean? It's more kind of, and the, like the black crows were like a jam band but they weren't like Fish or the Grateful Dead or one of those bands. They were more aggressive. They like fucking went for it. They went like went and got a guitar solo and like wrote four minute like intense like rock songs and shit like that. You know what I mean? They had like a uh, an ethos. And the dude is a pacifist. Say what you about National Socialism, dude. Right. <laughs> yeah. um, the dude is a, you know he identifies himself as a pacifist, but he also gets angry. You know what I mean? He also does. Like, the handoff. He's not, like, above, like, throwing something in somebody's face. He's not above putting himself in an awkward situation and being like, who the fuck is well, this he's not, guy? He's not above making money to pay rent. Sure, sure, sure. And doing some, like, illicit things to do it and not, like, 
just kind of drifting through life in whatever way he would. Like, there's a bunch of stuff contained within the Big Lebowski, which like mean a lot to me. But I also feel like there's a lot of high, there's a lot of connections between it and High Fidelity. And like, Jimmy Dale Gilmore was not a person that was on my radar until after I saw the Big Lebowski, and I was just like, oh yeah, Jimmy Dale Gilmore. I'm going back to Smokey. Um, like. Who is, you know, look it up. Who is Jimmy Dale Gilmore? Oh, Jimmy Dale Gilmore is a country rock, like a, a country artist. Yeah, yeah. And he is like... He's the actor that plays Smokey. Smokey. <clears throat> and I like Jimmy Dale Gilmore better than I like Willie Nelson. Like, you know, to be honest. Yeah. And I, I, that might be controversial if anyone listens to this podcast. You know, we might get some blowback on that. But I think Jimmy Dale Gilmore is like 10 times the artist that Willie Nelson is. Um, but I like... So there's... It reveals things, you know what I mean? And then you read things. like So after the first time I saw Big Lebowski, it was the first Dashiell Hammett book that I read. Like I got the Library of America Dashiell Hammett collection. He was another, he's like a noir, hard-boiled detective thing. But like it was one of the people that they talked about as like reference. Uh, did he write the Maltese Falcon or was that Raymond Chandler? That should I think that should have been, I think that's Chandler. That I think it's Chandler. But like he was another, oh, uh, Dashiell Hammett wrote The Big Sleep or is that Chandler also? That's Chandler. That's Chandler too, but he's another one. I think he's the earlier Raven Chandler. Guy. Um, so your approach with Big Lebowski is this post or pre um, New York trilogy? Oh, it's pre way pre New York trilogy. Is there any influence there? No, because I don't think the New York trilogy is a noir book. Uh, the New York yeah. trilogy is a, is a metafiction. It's like it's noirness. No, that's Paul Paul Oster. Paul Oster. It's noirness stated by Paul Oster is I wanted to sell a book, so I wrote a detective. I wrote a, it, yeah, I wrote the it. kind of detective book that I could write. It's a, but it's the same thing like uh, Thomas Pynchon for me writing like Inherent Vice to kind of do the same thing that's happening here. Yeah. You know what I mean? Which is like, oh, I wanted to write like a noir fiction. So I wrote the most fucking complicated <laughs> noir fiction. But if you ask Thomas Pynchon, like and we're going to have him on the podcast next week. Like I talked to him. I talked to his people. He's gonna be. <laughs> he's gonna be here. He's coming to Haven. And he's agreed to have it on YouTube. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's agreed to show his face and everything. He's gonna do it for us. Um, I bet if you ask, what would you do if like suddenly it's like we get a call like, yeah, he's he he, he agreed. He's, down. he's one of your seventeen listeners with one of those with one of those like voice changers and be like, are you him? And like, yeah. no, I'm his agent. It's like, why are you changing your voice? He's like, that's what Pigeon does. He told me I had to. Um, if you if you asked him. And we will. He would say, like, The Big Lebowski was 100% influence on Inherent Vice. 100%. Oh, yeah. But he pushed it a little. He's just pushing it a little further. But if you ask the Coen brothers, I would bet you they would say that, like, Vineland was a, an inspiration on, uh, like, some of the ways that this movie functioned. You know what I mean? Uh, or just, like, some of the stuff that's happening in it. It's, it's dedication... It's like a symbiotic sort um, of Right, it's kind of thing. weird, but I think a lot of these guys, and I feel like it sucks that the Coen brothers got away from this shit, is that a lot of these artists kind of existed in this sphere of making um, noir stuff, like just revolutionizing the noir. Um, novel or movie or whatever, um, they just did it, and then they just kind of got into like, oh, well, we're going to revolutionize westerns. And that's why I think tr I hate True Grit so much because everyone was like, oh, they revolutionized the Western with No Country for Old Men. And they were like, we did? Oh, okay. We'll just make a Western now, right? 
Who's Western? It's like the man who wasn't there was trying to do the noir thing again. And, yeah. Right. And they just, and, you know, they're Roger Lady Deacon. Killers was trying to do, like, the Blake Edwards style thing again. And, oh, yeah. To- oh, we, I don't think we talked yeah. about that when we talked about Blake Edwards, that Lady Killers is a total Blake Edwards homage. Yeah. But when they do homages, I don't think they do them well. Because I think what they do well is when they make their own movies. The serious man. It's, it's when they. It's when they're making. It's movie. when they're making right, something right. that has like the knowledge. It's like the coffin thing. You yeah. have so the knowledge of something, but you're making it. Like you have the knowledge of those things, but you're making your own thing right. based off of that knowledge. And, and like we were talking about Hell Caesar before, like that's four homages, and I just watched it last week for the first time, and I was like, eh. and then I started looking up on it, and someone wrote like. They're just going way over your head because they're doing all these like mm-hmm. you know genres of old time movies. It's well, like yeah, but it doesn't work. So. It's a um, right. It doesn't like work a, when they do it like Sydney. that. What's it, what the hell is his name? Um, it's a Mad 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 World. It's like uh, trying Sid to Caesar? No. not Sid Caesar, but him mm. that direct. He only. I don't know. I know who you're talking about, but I don't know. Um, but it's like it's that sort of thing. Yeah, like that kind of like big genre thing, or the Great Race. They're oh, trying yeah, to do yeah. like that with, but Hill I feel Caesar. like the Coen brothers trying to do that, like something like that with, um, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? When like usually no, they're very cagey about their influences, but with Oh Brother, Where Art Thou, like, oh, we're making the Odyssey. It's like, well, that sucks. With some press which is, yeah. which is what I appreciate. Which is like what I, I could say I appreciate like about the Ballad of Buster Scruggs is like they're just kind of like it does feel like they're just like we're gonna throw a bunch of shit at the wall. Sure. Based upon our influences. And it maybe doesn't work, but it's like they're not trying to do something. Do I think that they financed Macbeth with the money they made off of the Ballad of Buster Scruggs from Netflix? 100%. Yeah. 100%. So do I believe them when they were like, yeah, we had a bunch of Western ideas that we just kind of anthologized and like stuck into a movie? Yeah. I'm glad they did it. I'm, I like, am very much looking forward to this Denzel Washington, Francis McDormand. Macbeth, Lady Macbeth pairing. What the fuck is that going to be? As long as Francis McDormand isn't. A I'm going to be honest with you. That's either going to be awesome. That's either going to be the greatest thing ever or fucking terrible. Yeah. As long as Francis McDormand isn't a drunk. But can't you imagine, like, if she's a goddamn fucking drunk again? Like <sighs> that that character that she's been doing for the past like four years. I'm going to. But can't blow you imagine? My out. Denzel Washington. Remember simmering anger. Right. Remember the Denzel? Oh, you, you listen to my no bad. Yeah, the end review. That's yeah. not simmering anger. I Remember was... we talked about uh, fences. I feel like we talked about fences probably at Archie Moore's. I'm having like an Archie Moore's like back room at Archie Moore's fences like thing. When I was like, oh, two thirds of fences is great until Denzel Washington made a Denzel Washington face and stopped being that character was just Denzel Washington. Yeah, when I, I was losing my mind over Viola Davis. I feel like he could do something like that in Macbeth and totally work. Mm-hmm. Like, the thing that Macbeth has been lacking for, like, 400 years has been, like, Denzel Washington just kind of being, like, I'm going to tear into this in the literal only way that I know how to do it. Well, it's, it's Which missing. is as myself and just, like, with a fucking it's edge. Been, it's been missing overacting. Oh, yeah. Overacting would be good. Like, uh, Polanski's Macbeth, um, whatever the fuck his name was, from... 2005, 15's Macbeth, uh, Justin... Michael Fassbender? No, yeah, Michael Fassbender, but Justin Chisholm or whatever. Um, the because director. they tried to use fire as... <laughs> yeah, visually it works, but um, everyone Marianne tries to do Cotillard, this, like, right? Yeah, everyone yeah. tries to do this really subdued Macbeth performance, and I think Macbeth demands, like, biting into fucking leather. Oh, it's gonna be great. And Even I think Denzel's, like, great. the person to do it. I just don't want Francis McDormand. I want Francis McDormand 
chewing up the scenery, but not the way she's done it for the past half decade. Um, yeah, while which trying, I, I think she's she's able to while do. trying to so what she's been doing for the last half decade is trying to pretend like she's not chewing up the scenery while chewing up the scenery, mm-hmm. right? I mean that's what she's that's what she's been doing. I mean, three billboards, she's chewing the scenery. All but I think through. she's but I think three billboards works because she's trying to say like there's this is about justice. I'm doing this because of justice. I don't think three, I don't think her. Her, what she's doing in Three Billboards works. I oh, know. I love Three Billboards. I like Three Billboards, but I don't think what she's doing works. I think she's doing what she's doing works because it's so irrational. And she ha- she she digs into the irrationality of her character. Maybe. So that's the thing. I'm one of the people that watches it, and we've totally, we've totally yeah. veered into like away from what we're talking about. I think Three Billboards works because like everyone thinks that she's a hero. This is, I don't think this she's is a- absolute Archie Boards discussion. Absolutely. And the fact that none of us are like destroyed or drunk. And there's, but there's but no buffalo wings here. There's no buffalo wings. There's just the promise of, of sandwiches soon enough. But like, There should be a very disinterested and frustrated waitress delivering us buffalo wings right now. And then who gets a good tip and is like, oh, okay, I like those guys. Because we weren't paying attention, but the beautiful. So I think I'm the one person in Three Billboards that like, I'm the one person who likes Three Billboards that says like, no one in this movie wins. Like the people that Francis McDormand and Sam Rockwell, who everyone thinks like win this movie, don't fucking win this movie. Like the they char- lose the movie. Character wise, everyone yeah. says that now. What that they lose? Yeah. No, they don't. Absolutely. Everyone has a big problem with this movie because they're like, oh, it's rewarding. No, all that was this initially like the belief and. Rhea talked about this at Archie Moore's, like, when it came out, is the fact that, like, people are going to say that doesn't win, and that's absolutely the belief now. It's like, nobody wins. Well, that's good. That's the right That's the right attitude. Did you like Three Billboards, J.P.? Oh, yeah. Except maybe yeah. her ex-husband kind of gets away with it, whatever. But he should. He's John Hawks. Yeah. Right? John it's John Hawks? It's John Hawks. Yeah, and he totally wins. Who's, who's his girlfriend? Who's his girlfriend? Okay, it would be an... Actress that Malin Ackerman? No, it'd be an actress that I. Okay, so it's not it's not a Juno Temple actress, but who's a modern day Juno Temple that I'm like obsessed with? Lily? No, you're not like you know Samara Weaving. Oh, is it Samara Weaving? Yeah. Oh, she's not really in it that much. No, she's not. But that's not fair to Samara Weaving. No, but like her little performance, and she's too young. Does super well. Well, that's kind of the point. For John, I guess. Oh yeah. Okay, wait. Favorite scene. Really quick, scene that works the best. We should probably do this and then. Oh yeah, my uh, my scene that works the best is uh, the uh, the ashes scene, and that's changed from probably that would probably change like every couple years, Mm -hmm. but now for me the ashes scene, just like him having that like turning it to numb, shaking it out like it falling on the dude, like that shit just that hits. (laughs) Love it. The thing that cracked me up the most watching it this time was uh, at uh, Jackie Treehorn's mansion or house <laughs> when he takes a phone call and screws Oh, yeah, yeah, I love that. And he runs over and... He does the rubbing? The, the, yeah, rubs the pencil over it. And it's just the picture of the guy with the big cock. It's like, um, like, that is the most absurd oh, thing in so the movie. Oh, it's so great. Unnecessary. I love the Jackie say. Treehorn scene. Lebowski falling over the roughly nailed in wood yes. piece. Oh yeah, yeah that's yeah. great. Or it's or, a great it's a great payoff to just an already joke that's already had a payoff. Yep. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. it's it with had a door. payoff before with like just the door opening outwards, yeah. but then it gets paid off again when he just falls over. <laughs> oh, I love it. I mean, it, and I a sight gag is always great, especially when it's like a an actually thought out like a. 
layered side right. gag. Well, and so the thing, and the thing I, that always surprises me about this movie, from a scene standpoint, is like that Tara Reid is in it. I always forget that Tara Reid is in this movie, and I'm like, oh, oh yeah, Tara Reid is in this movie. And I remember at the time having my fucking mind blown that Tara Reid was in this movie. Yeah, same. Because like coming off of like I remember I saw American Pie in a packed theater. Like I sat in the front row for American Pie. Um I, I sat American s- Pie is August 99 I think or something. It's like, like it's like yeah. right around No, oh, no, is it is American Pie was before just before this, wasn't it? No, American Pie is 99. Oh no, it is 99 but cuz I saw it saw after theaters, American Pie yeah. and I was like But you saw us <gasps> get home. Are Tara Reid is in this movie? Like, how do they do that? Like, it's like the guys with Fargo cast from Fargo cast Tara Reid. It's blowing my mind. She's gonna be huge. And then she was not. She was not. Allison Hannigan made it, I guess. Good she did. Her. She did good. Allison Hannigan did good. It's oh, no. uh, again. It's the typical. We talk about this all the time in my house because we did some cameos recently. The whole cast of the only two people from Dawson's Creek that are on cameo are like some side characters and James Vanderbeek. The only people from <laughs> How I Met Your Mother that like haven't turned their careers into something else is the only guy that's on cameo. Josh Radner. He's $250. <laughs> and I feel so sad for him. Remember tried to Make it become a director. He did, and he tried, but then you know, Me Too happened, and everyone was like, "Fuck you, Josh Radner." He didn't even do anything. He just made a movie where he was. I'm forty-ish, um, and I'm gonna, gonna sleep with Elizabeth Olsen. Right, and people are like, "Well, that's not good." And it's like he's not even. She's like twenty-five, and he's forty. But here's the thing: and this is. I don't think Me Too. That when I see that shit, I don't think Me Too. I think Woody Allen fucking sucks as a filmmaker, and fuck all of you people. Who have said, like, Woody Allen's a great filmmaker. I'm going to make a Woody Allen film. Fuck you. Fuck you. Manhattan was garbage and disgusting at the time. Just like the Flash touching Iris's face. Yes, he did it. Beep. That's the sound if, of if two you, points connected. If you also got really drunk last Sunday off of Road to Ruin and couldn't stop talking about ruining your own podcast with how much... You know, the guy from We Need to Talk About Kevin is touching. Uh, I don't know what else she was in. Uh, she was in something else. Uh, touching Iris West's face and being like, that's not appropriate. When your podcast partner's like, let's move on, and you just can't stop talking about it, you could tweet us at Film Pivotal. I'm going to be honest with Mario, this is 2021, so there might be lots of people. <laughs> that, I, there might be lots of people now. Um, who knows how many film podcasts there are in Connecticut that recorded on Sunday and, and like live recorded. Uh, watching Justice League. Uh, or you can email us at pivotalfilmpodcast at gmail.com or you can go to pivotalfilm.com, which I haven't updated in a long fucking time. But You don't have to update it soon. Most of the information is the same. You know, our, I, I have to update our lists, but our lists it got slow there. Like, we were doing them infrequently, and I just no. kind of got out of uh, the habit of doing left. it. Um, yeah, and I, don't, I mean, I don't know what we're doing next week, so, so that'll be a surprise to everybody. Uh, we shouldn't announce it. Yeah, we'll no. let it be a surprise. But next week we're reviewing The Father. We're finally seeing the last Best Picture nominee. Are you? Do you have? Do you have feelings? Do you have expectations? I, I think it's gonna be good. I kind of forgot that it existed, which I thought was good. Well, that's why when it was nominated, I was just like, "What the 
fuck is this? And that now that makes sense. Right. Has everyone even been out to, to see? No, no, I think everybody got, got saw it. It's like the one major one that got a theatrical release only, I think. Yeah. I mean, I'm 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 excited to kind of round this yeah. shit out. Um then the week after we'll do Godzilla versus Kong and then Very our number ones are just going to have no A block. No, that'll it's be gonna good. be they're just going to be our number ones. That'll be good. Um but yeah, so go see uh or if you're comfortable, go see a movie. If you've got uh, if you got your Fauci ouchie. If you're is that what they call it? <laughs> That's, That's pretty good. Called, yeah. If you got your Fauci ouchie uh, go see a movie. Uh, drink beers because of the stress of going to see a movie, like after having not been in a movie theater for a year and a month. Uh, and then uh, come and listen to us, and we'll talk to you next week. Such a